a very good morning to you all. My name is Kate Woodward, if you don't know who I am. I'm married to the wonderful Neil Woodward, who has by actually this morning has just arrived at Mumbai, India, with our younger son, Nathaniel. And um, they're going for 10 days, and they're going to go a tear fund to see all that they're doing to stop all the trafficking and slavery that's going on in India and Nepal. And I'm sure they'll see some sights that might break their heart. But actually, breaking the heart when you see poverty actually is not a bad thing, because it might spur them on. There's a whole group of vineyard pastors coming together this week, and they're just going to go to India, to Mumbai. And I don't know if you know Mumbai at the moment. There is a section of it in the northern part that is on fire at the moment. There is a, a massive tip that is 17 stories high, and it's on fire. And actually, you can see the fire from space. And, um, and they're, they're fire people. Well, what do you call them? Fire Firefighters can't get to them and, um, because it's so big. But this is the place where kids live, where the, where the um, poor people go and get their bottles. And actually, it's also where chemicals are. So just pray that this fire is put out. It is, so as you look up, if you look on your phone, the weather for Mumbai looks says smoke. Um, so they've arrived, actually, and they've said it's clear blue, a clear blue sky, but apparently it's right by the sea. So they're on for an adventure, and I'm very excited for my younger son, Nathaniel, because I think um, the Lord's going to do something with him this week. Anyway, and for you people, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel 10. Let's pray. There are Bibles here on the sides, actually, if you don't have a Bible. So do help yourself at the back. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you are our God of the, of the world. That even here, you're ministering to us. You're ministering to people all over the world. And that's uh, one of the beauty about you, Lord, that you are everywhere. And we give you thanks and praise. For yours is the kingdom. And Lord, we pray for the vineyard pastors gathering with Tear Fund this week that you would, you would do what you want them to do. You would let them see what you want them to see. And Lord, we pray, let that fire be your fire. But Lord, put out that fire. I pray that the, the government or whatever needs to happen, will they just put that fire out in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are different dimensions to the presence of God. The Bible talks of God being omnipresent, God's presence being everywhere, at all times. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. And yet, at the same time, when we come to faith in Jesus, the Bible says God, God's presence is always with us. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And there the, then there's the sense we have of God's presence when we gather together. Matthew 18.20, For where two or three come together in my name, 
there I am with them. So even though God is everywhere at all times, even though God is with me and with you personally, he will never leave me or you ever. There's a sense that when we gather together, God's presence is with us too. We see it when we worship together, as we just have. There's this thin, there's this even deeper sense of God's wonderful presence. And one of the things God has for us in this year, no matter how much of God we have, there is always more to have. There are always more dimensions of the presence of God that we have yet to experience, yet to encounter. There's always more of God to have. And you see it time and time again in the scriptures that with God's presence comes anointing. And that anointing is always for a purpose. Calling, gifting, and anointing. We've all got a calling on our lives, and it's that calling which gives us our sense of identity. We've all got different giftings that we have, and it's, and it's those giftings which give us our ability. And then there's the anointing of God's presence, and it's that anointing which gives us our purpose. And almost everywhere you look in the Bible, where you see God's anointing, you'll see God giving someone something to do. You see it in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. Why? Well, because he's giving us something to do. To proclaim good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. To release from darkness for the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so anointing and purpose go together. You see it in the scriptures with the anointing of kings. A prophet would anoint a king, and then they would give him something to do. Anointing and purpose going together. God's presence and God's anointing, giving us a certain sense of direction and purpose that we don't get anywhere else. And this morning, I want us to look at anointing and purpose and prophecy. In in Corinthians 14, Paul writes, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. And this morning, I want us to look at what happens when God's anointing comes on us and we prophesy. And what happens when we prophesy over one another over people in the supermarket, over people we work with, with dimensions of God's presence, shows up in a whole new way. So if you've got a Bible, do turn with me to 1 Samuel 10.1. It is the most amazing bit of scripture. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has the not the Lord anointed you ruler over this over his inheritance. And then he begins to talk to him about what he should do at this interesting, which is interesting because he's already anointed him king. And And what he says is, when you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. 
They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been, have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept for from them. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. And as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with, with lyres, timbrels, pipes and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gabeah, a procession of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God powerfully came upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all of those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this? What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, and who is their father? So it became a saying, is Saul also among the prophets? Now stick your finger in 1 Samuel 10 and then turn to 1 Samuel 9, 19.8. And let's just read from verse 8 just to give us a bit of context. Verse 8. Once more war broke out and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his head. And while David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Now, now turn to verse 15. This is verse 15. Then Saul sent the man back to see David and told them, Bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. But when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed, and at the head was the goat's hair. In other words, they came in to capture David, but David knew that they were coming for him. So he puts his family idol in the bed and covers it with goat hair, so it looks like he's there, and they would think it was him. And when they showed Saul what David had done, Saul said to Michael, Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? And Michael said, told him, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. And word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. And Saul, was told, and Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. 
Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern of Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naoth and Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay, lay, he lay naked all that day and all that night, that is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? Now, this is an amazing story of what can happen when God's presence and God's anointing and the gift of prophecy all come together in the one place at the same time. You see, what's happened is Saul has encountered this coming together of God's presence and God's anointing and prophecy, all at the same time as he was called king. And Samuel says, you called, you're called to be king, and he anoints him as king. And yet, he doesn't have everything he needs to be king until he meets and encounters the prophetic. And what Samuel says is just mind-blowing, because Samuel says to Saul in 1, 10, in 1 Samuel 10.6, when you encounter the prophetic, when you meet the prophets, you will be changed into a different person. You will be another man. So here's Saul. He's already been called king. He's already been anointed to be king. But when he encounters the prophetic, he's changed into a different man. Years later, after all kinds of things happens to Saul, the Bible says he goes insane. He has this evil spirit come upon him because he wants to kill David. There's all this suspicion and jealousy that Saul has for David, which is how he ends up with this evil spirit. The whole thing between Saul and David began when David came back from killing Goliath and defeating the Philistines, and everyone was lined up cheering and saying, Saul killed thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. But instead of celebrating David's success, instead of looking at the man that Saul had found, remember all that David was doing before he met Saul was tending his sheep. But instead of seeing David's victories as Saul's victories and as Israel's victories, Saul gets jealous of him. He becomes suspicious of him and plots to kill him. And Saul ends up, through his jealousy and hatred of David, opening himself up to an evil spirit that tormented him and controlled him and robbed him. But what's amazing is, no matter how demonized Saul was, no matter how jealous of David, no matter how messed up Saul was, whenever he comes to the presence of God, whenever Saul encounters the prophetic, he was changed into a different man. Whenever Saul encountered the prophetic, he was changed back into the man he was called to be in the first place. You see, in 1 Samuel 9.24, when once again he encounters the prophetic, and Saul strips off his clothes. In other words, he's taking off his old identity. 
He's stripping himself of old identity. He's taking off the stuff that had been put on him that wasn't a reflection of his true self, his true calling, his real anointing. He took off his old identity to put on the identity that the prophetic word had called him into. Saul strips off everything that he added to himself and begins to step into again the man that God has called him to be. And it says in the Bible that it was a byword among the Israelites. It became a saying among the Israelites that Saul was counted among the prophets. In other words, if God, if God can do that for Saul, this crazy demon-possessed man, and he can do everything for the rest of us. And so what we see here is the prophetic calling out, naming, identifying someone's true identity. We see the prophetic calling out in someone what God has called them to be, who God has called them to be, not what others have called them, not even what they have come to call themselves, but the true identity of what God has set them in their hearts and in their minds. The presence of God comes. He calls us. He anoints us. And through the prophetic encounter, he reminds us of all that he has truly called us and anointed us to be. Wouldn't it be awesome if, as a church, we were like this company of prophets that called out people's true selves? We were at... Um, NLC last week and in the morning Bible studies um, it was led by a great guy called Greg Thompson and Nils posted them on the city, the three talks and I would really say listen to them listen to all of the talks, it was an amazing conference but do listen to this guy and um, and the first of his talks was titled A Name for the Nameless and in it he talks about how we all carry around these labels. I really need some water. So I've, I've got a really thirsty mouth. That's very kind of you. Thank you. I, so thanks, James. I don't know what I did with that bottle, James. Let me just have a little bit. I've got a really... Excuse me. I won't try and let you keep myself. And uh, anyway, Greg Thompson talks about um, how we all carry these labels. Labels that we wear. Labels that we put on ourselves. Labels that other people have put on us. And the labels that describe us. Labels that describe that, what we're like. Labels that describe who we are. The problem is that these labels that we wear, the names we give ourselves, the names we give one another aren't the names God has given us. And so when we call ourselves stupid or ugly or hopeless or useless or whatever it might be, or when other people call us fragile, complicated or tricky or wounded or whatever else, that is not what God has called us. Isaiah 62 puts it far better than I ever could. For Zion's sake, 
I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name and the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you. Wouldn't it be awesome if as a church we were known as a company of prophets that called out people's true selves and spoke over the names God has given them? You see, Saul sends messengers three times to this company of prophets to get David. And three times people go to the prophets to find David so they can arrest him and bring him to Saul so Saul can kill him. And every time any of them get anywhere near the prophets, instead of getting David, they get caught in the God's presence and end up prophesying themselves. And eventually Saul himself gets so fed up with them, not doing what he's asked, so he dies to decides to go and do it himself. Sort of, if you want a job done, just go and do it yourself. And he goes up and he gets there, and what happens? The same very thing. He strips off his garments, and he too prophesies, prophesied in Samuel's presence. Wouldn't it be awesome? As a church, we were known as a company of prophets, that when people came into our midst, they encountered the Spirit of God in this way. We haven't even begun to experience God in the fullness of all his dimensions. There is so much more. When we sing that song, heaven come on earth, he's coming. He's coming with more. And don't we long for his presence of God to come in such a way. In that his calling... And his anointing and his prophetic naming of who we really are come together in such a mighty way that we can't help but strip off the rubbish, all the lies, the robbing. But what others have called us all, even about what we've called ourselves, so that we can step in to the liberty and freedom. I need a tissue now, I'm afraid. Thank you. The goal of a prophet, the thing we should be eagerly desiring, as Paul says, is not that when someone comes into our midst or when we go out into the streets that we give them a word that they become a different person, but they come but they become a different person. Prophecy isn't just about giving words. Prophecy isn't just about pictures. They're wonderful. I'm not saying they're not. They're wonderful. Prophecy is about calling out one another's true selves, their true calling, 
their real anointing such that they become a different person and are forever changed. Wouldn't it be awesome if, as a church, we were known as a company of prophets? That when a person comes into our midst, they encounter the Spirit of God in such a way that they become a different person. Stripped of their false identity, set free from the false names, and given the calling, the anointing, and the name given to them by God. I just want to end with a story we heard while we were at NRC last week. And it's about the work of the, Salve, the wonderful Salvation Army in Japan. It was back in the 1900s when trafficking of girls was accepted as part of the way society worked in Japan. They even had a system of licensed slaves. Now, although bullying, buying and selling people was illegal, many of the tra traffickers found a way around this. They would loan money to the girls or to their families and say that the girls only need work until they have paid off their loan. However, the loan would always keep increasing and it would be impossible to pay back. The girls were stuck in a life forced of prostitution, unable to escape and live the lives they wanted. The Salvation Army had not long started work in Japan in the 1900s. And there was only around 100 members. But they decided together that something must be done to help these precious girls. They decided to speak out and raise their prophetic voice, calling out the true identities of these young girls, prophetically declaring their true calling, speaking out their real names, and taking off the filthy labels that had been put on them. And the salvation prayed and they worshipped. And they prayed and they worshipped. And they heard the Lord say, publish the edition of the war cries, which they did, about what was happening was illegal and why it was wrong. And then they felt the Lord say, all you need is yourselves and a drum. So what they did, after Oodle's amount of praying and hearing from the Lord, they marched into... Um, some places, brothels, where the girls were banging their drum. And they created a circle. All the members created a circle inside the brothel. And they said to the girls, if you want to come out, if you want your freedom, come and stand in the middle of this circle. And they did. And the Salvation Army gathered around the girls and they slowly took them out of the brothel. And, the, and of course, the people who owned or thought they owned the girls were not happy, so there was lots of injuries, but they did it, and they kept doing it again and again and again. And they sang and declared, and the girls should be, they sang and declared, and they took girls to be free the girls began to find courage and strength to leave. And the police found that wherewithal to step in 
and the government changed the law, making it illegal to keep girls against their will. And all this within just two months. And in the year following the prophetic outcry, 12,000 girls left the lives of slavery and were free to return to their families. This is what we've been called to. This is what we've been anointed for. To dwell in God's presence in such a way that this kind of prophetic encounter becomes part of the norm of our everyday lives. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me, I mean us, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. display of his splendor. There is so much more to the Lord. There is so much more that he wants to give us. Why don't you stand? <laughs> 